Hello again. Hi, Mark. How you doing, Brian? Good. Good to be back after a um, few weeks off. Yes, certainly. Have you enjoyed your break? Yeah, it's been good. It's um, busy. Busy with working. Good coming out of lockdown now and things getting back to a little bit of no- normality. So. Well, that's the hope, isn't it? And hopefully we can kind of... Uh, it's a strange old time, isn't it? Even though we're coming out of lockdown, still everybody's at different stages with it, I think. And, uh, but yeah, I agree. It's, all, it's nice to try and see that light at the end of the tunnel. I think I'm starting to believe again. Yeah, definitely. I've, um, it's been funny missing doing some recordings for a few weeks, having that break. Being, um, I've definitely missed sitting down and sort of having, um, having the chats that we, we have during the, the podcasts. I agree completely, yeah. And I have missed the shed. Yeah. I must say, I have missed the shed. I uh, I managed to, luckily I managed to get away, a little bit of a getaway for um, a couple of days down on the coast of Wales there. And even though we were fortunate with the weather and the sun was shining, <laughs> some glorious kind of scenery. It wasn't quite like the shed. It wasn't quite like the shed. I'm not joking <laughs> when I say that. I was sitting there thinking... I do miss the tranquility of that shed. Yeah. Well, I've been able to spend a lot of time still in here because this is where I work and do. Oh, well, bully for you then. Know, so. um, and yeah, it's good, it's good to um, have people back listening to us. We've had some really good feedback from the first series, um, which has been really good. And obviously that's what um, motivated us to do to do the second series. But this time we've um, we've introduced some guests into the... Um, into the shed yes and I am very much looking forward to that having guests on and uh, we've been very very lucky as well because we've had obviously people who've been listening to the uh, the podcast and, and shared it widely we are very very grateful for that but also some uh, people we know in, in the world of therapy and mental health have, uh, have been very kind and, and complimentary so uh we basically said to them, right, well, you need to come on and do an episode then. Yeah. And that's uh, what we, so we've been lucky. We've had, uh, we've got several guests booked in for episodes in this series mm-hmm. for uh, in all different areas of mental health, really. Yeah, I think it'll definitely help give us a bit more in-depth knowledge into specific areas. And with a lot of them, um, you know, we'll probably find that we have to do numerous episodes on them because they're all in their own right big subjects to cover. Yeah. So the idea is for each one that we're going to be having in this series is to sort of almost just do a bit of an overview for people to help them get a bit more of an understanding of you know the different types of therapy and you know different issues that people present definitely, with. definitely yeah. And of course for ourselves, you know, I I, I learn from these podcasts and from yourself anyway, but and certainly now getting guests on, yeah, I'm, I am really excited about it. So who's our first guest? It's our good friend, Paul Mayne, counsellor, trauma therapist. Yeah, I'm well excited, yeah, I am as well. And as you say, he is a good friend of ours, but um, but he's a, well, I in my opinion, he's a, a wealth of, of knowledge, particularly around uh, mental health, but particularly around trauma. So, uh, yeah, I'm well looking forward to this episode. Yeah, no pressure. Hope he, I hope he doesn't walk out if I ask him too many questions. <laughs> So, yeah, hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, my name is Mark. Hi, I'm Brian, and welcome to the Therapy Shed podcast.
Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks, yeah. Good. I'm doing uh, dandio. Good. How's your good self? Yeah, good. Looking forward to today's episode. It's the um, first time you've had an extra person in the, the therapy shed. Yeah. A new dynamic. A new dynamic indeed, and one that I'm well excited about. Definitely. So, um, without further ado, most importantly, welcome to Mr. Paul Nair. Thanks for having us. Thanks for the big build-up as well. That's no, uh, no pressure here. No pressure. No pressure so. at all. There's no pressure in the shed anyways. It's so laid back. It's lovely. Yeah, it's good, it is. It? Do you like him being in the, sh- in the shed? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for letting me into your, your space. It's really good. Really nice and chilled. Looking forward to the episode. Looking yeah. forward to sharing knowledge together. Me too. I think um, it's something that we've spoke a lot about immediately, you know, between ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, t- trauma is a big subject. Um, today we're not going to cover everything around trauma it'll, it'll take about i think we could do a whole series on just trauma couldn't we um, yeah i think it's tying it i think it's tying it together and trying to make it just bite size just to kind of just give people a taste of what's out there and what we work with as well definitely definitely certainly yeah and as you say it's such a big area of mental health isn't it i think it's trauma is a word that is in like like everyday vocabulary isn't it you know we've, mm. we've heard that so many times like oh, i feel traumatized yeah, yeah. That, that thing traumatized me so i think this would be good for certainly for myself i say i'm really excited to pick your brains paul but but also hopefully for everyone listening as well just to get a a bit more kind of um just a bit more knowledge i suppose a bit more understanding around what what yeah. that actually means when we say we feel traumatized or what, what that term means in different contexts as well yeah because it can be a term that gets thrown around or doesn't it when you're working with clients sometimes they'll come in and you know someone says i'm depressed or i've got ocd they're just words that are bandied around now but kind of given a better definition of what trauma really is today because mm-hmm. some people might minimize what they're going through some people who listen today actually think oh, well, it's not trauma they should just be getting on with it but actually just might give a bit of a definition to say actually I've gone through something. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point, isn't it? Because I think with trauma, a, a lot of people maybe um, see trauma as, you know, this massive, massive yeah. event that's happened. And sometimes, which, you know, we'll get a bit more into in, in the episodes, but sometimes trauma can be things that people don't don't realise can, can cancel a class as trauma. Yeah. Um, which is something that, you know, hopefully we can get across in, in this episode. But just before we get into actually talking about trauma, um, not to put any more pressure on you, Paul, but um, Mark's got a few little um, questions. Get to know your questions, I suppose. Therapy shed questions, let's have it. Therapy shed questions, that would be what they are known as from this point forward. Indeed, so as we did in our first series, we asked each other, Brian and I asked each other these questions. Um, So... In this series, we're going to ask each of our guests, and you are the lucky winner who gets to answer them first. First on. Okay. So, um, 10 questions, Paul, and it's just hopefully getting to know you a little bit more. Um, And we said in the first series, didn't we, these these questions were a bit, we found them interesting that Mm. your answers could change each and every day with these questions. There may be questions that are less conventional and like, What's your favourite colour, sort of, sort of thing? So, I think I think I compare them to when people come in for therapy, and we we, we do um, sort of you know um, roms with them and things like that. You know, obviously it's, it's a way of us gauging where the clients are on yeah. that particular day. For me, those questions felt felt very similar because I got asked them the first week, and then the second week I asked them to mark. And while I was thinking of 
my answers I knew they were different from the previous ones yeah. so um, it, it's quite it's quite interesting um, and yeah I think um, interested to see what some of the answers will be yeah yes are you ready Paul oh yes come on okay <laughs> so without further ado lights down <laughs> question number one what is your favorite word and actually it's really interesting Brian saying that because I remember this one from the first podcast and in the car coming down it was dad but it's changed oh, even as a got here it's present I think that's my favorite word present yeah there was something about dad for me first but that's really important being a dad it reminds me who I am and what I can be but actually present because it's really important to be present really important just to be here right now not in the gym where I'm going to be not on where I was this morning actually here right now that's really important right these answers are already bottled wa- better than ours boss answers <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much Paul. that was brilliant okay question number two what is your least favourite word uh, I just laugh at that <laughs> <laughs> uh, the word can't the word can't and I think that's something maybe not for like my clients or whatever can't means you know quite often that I won't I think that was my fear. I think that was, it was, was yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Brian's answer as well. Yeah. Interesting. And I, and I think for a similar type of, of reason, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a sense of like, I, I can't do that, it just means I haven't got a willingness to do it. Yeah, but there's just that kind of just taking that extra frame, that next step into life, and just it. There's just something about that. Mm-hmm. Especially with trauma work, there's that stop, I can't. And actually, if you just take that next frame, what's the next picture look like? And that gets something moving. And just willing to take that step means a lot. Yeah, definitely. I could go off waffling here, lads. So just waffle away if you like. I feel like I feel like a toddler on like my granddad's knee. You know what I mean? Look, like, oh, this is amazing. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't mean that. <laughs> no, waffle as much as you like, please. Question number three: What turns you on? Well, there's a few ways you can answer this question, but I'll you know <laughs> I'll frame it a different way. Uh, seeing people grow. Yeah, just seeing people change, you know, and grow into what they can be. Uh, definitely. Mental health, I used to teach martial arts. Mental health, martial arts, just seeing people grow into something different mm-hmm. yeah, and start realising the potential. That's kind of just what it's all about for me. Like becoming as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just seeing people kind of coming in crushed and just coming out of whatever they've been through, whether bullying, violence, you know. I'm linking this to martial arts, linking it to mental health because those two are very closely connected for me. But just seeing people grow, okay. yeah, becoming themselves. It's funny when you say that, the image I get is like a, it's that sort of flower image, isn't it? Of sort of nature and that flower water in it and just letting it grow. And yeah. you know, if you give it the space to grow, and it, it'll just grow. And yeah. yeah. It's all about the environment, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Question number four what turns you off? It's the opposite to seeing people grow. It's people who th- think they've got the kind of that, you know, it's okay to be confident, but arrogant. Arrogant, where they just kind of, um, I don't, I try not to swear that much, but it's it's like somebody said to me a while back, it's like playing chess with a pigeon. You know, you can have all the great moves, but the pigeon will just kick all the, uh, the chess pieces off and shit on the board. Yeah. You know, they just, they just won't engage with it. I don't love that. Analogy, yeah. I love that. Clients said that's me a while back. It happened in, in stitches, but it's such a good analogy. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fantastic. That, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna say, um, arrogance was mine. Was it? Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. 
And there's that Bruce Lee quote, isn't it? Uh, those who are most full of self are most empty, which I love. Yeah, I love that quote as well. I've got the same answer. Yeah. I can copy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> copy my answers. <laughs> right. Question number five. What sound or noise do you love? It's quite a difficult one because I've never really thought about it, but there's something about rain. Right. Please don't tell me you're the same answers. <laughs> this is not funny anymore. <laughs> I'll, I'll go and put the kettle on, shall I, and just leave you two to get on with it. Brian, thanks for rain, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just yeah. think, like, on the last couple of nights where I've just... You know, it's been really hot and the rain's come just having the window open and just there's something about that noise that just really grounds you yeah and I think I think if I remember rightly when we recorded this episode it had been raining the night before when I gave my answers and I don't yeah. know if that, that's why but this is getting a bit strange and all that it is it is you, you might have copied all them. my answers <laughs> <laughs> whatever your next answer is change it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so amazing Question number six. What sound or noise do you hate? You won't have this one. Tinnitus. Tinnitus. I've got really bad tinnitus. Oh, you suffer yeah, tinnitus? Yeah, it's all the time. Yeah. It's kind of... It's, it's all right mostly, but at night time or mornings when there's nothing else. Um, but that's not a noise for everybody. That's a noise for me. You're not going to hear it now. Mm -hmm. um, you just kind of just switch it off a bit. Well, the noise I really hate is <laughs> Chris Packett in the cinema. Oh, oh yes, that's a very yeah, I, yeah, I completely yeah. empathise with you there. Yeah. That's a very so one we can all have big trigger that for yeah. me. <laughs> yes, I agree. Definitely. Okay. Question number seven: What is your favourite swear word? And this might surprise you because you both heard me swear. Oh uh, yeah. Don't really like swearing. Don't really like it. Um, do you know what that was sorry to insult you but that was my first thought when you said that I've heard you swear yeah. several times but yeah you're not a big swearing person I must say no I wouldn't associate swearing with you at all but you're going to give us a crack but I do swear you yeah. do swear I do swear but what interests me about swearing is the um, the effect it can have have you seen the thing on Netflix the series on Netflix about swear words yeah, Nicholas yeah. Cage yeah I mentioned it in the first yeah. episode yeah. yeah I'm going to have to I'll have to listen more to your podcast no, this, this podcast <laughs> <laughs> I did listen <laughs> and I think there was one where you put the hand in the water uh, and if you say fuck it actually takes pain away it's really I've heard of that experiment yeah, really before yeah right so I'm interested about what happens when you say something a specific word but ask actually for a favourite one I haven't really got one no okay there's some funny ones but other people say them can you give us one or two of them examples I just don't like saying them don't like saying them okay <laughs> I have to be kind of in the moment to do it yeah, yeah no oh, so is it like an emo I suppose swearing is quite emotional it can be yeah, isn't it can't it can be. be quite an emotional release can't yeah, it I, I, I encourage clients to do it all the time because it, it kind of brings out a really organic part of themselves that you know, they might not have access to the I've just talked about conditions of worth before uh, I'm not this, I'm not that if I swear. Maybe I've got some conditions of worth around swearing, but... Because really, they're just words, aren't they? That's all they yeah, are. Yeah. We, we, gave, we give them the power and the meaning to them. Where, you know, if, you could say any words, and if someone gives it the power, it, it can be feel, it can become quite, um, quite, quite you know, offensive to someone. Yeah. Because, you know, if you call someone a potato, if, the, if they sort of take that word potato, it, it can become, make it offensive and yeah. make it bad. And, yeah. But social constructs aren't they as well yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we agree what they mean yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. and there's also like getting pissed you know if you're pissed off here it's like that's almost a swear word but then in America everyone uses it it's like it's okay to say it in America mm -hmm. and like 
you know, their word over there is like fanny. You know, that's for like the, the, the backside, isn't it? They have like a fanny pack that they carry around, but yeah. here it's a completely different context. So yeah. you're right, it's social, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you've made me swear a few times now. <laughs> yeah. I knew we'd get, we'd get a few out of Okay. Uh, okay, question number eight. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Yeah, without any hesitation, like full-time full -time martial artist, definitely. Right, would definitely. that be your... Yeah. Well, I loved it. I loved it. Um, and I think it's as close to mental health as you can get for me. Because what, what I was working with with martial arts was the core of changing somebody and giving them confidence. Mm -hmm. And when I when I quit martial arts, I don't want to go too much into this because I know that we've got this time limit. When I quit martial arts, I knew that it helped somebody come from really low self-esteem. They walked in looking like they were broken in a session and walked out with the head held up. Mm, and yeah. thought I can do this and reach so more many people with counselling. Yeah. Well, we, we're going to, of course, have a conversation about your, shall we say, your journey so <coughs> far, what brought you know, brought you into the world of, of therapy in a moment, but would you say that was a key kind of catalyst for you? Yeah, definitely. Becoming kind of, of... Yeah, because I, I was teaching and then training to be a counsellor alongside and I just thought, yeah, I can, I can stop this now, I can let it go. Mm. Yeah. And if the counselling world ended, I knew I could still get that element back by doing martial arts. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of self-discipline in martial arts, isn't there as well? And I guess that's a big part of yeah, yeah. You know, mental health. That's exploring the self and yeah. touching your limitations and that sort of thing. Yeah. And constantly defending your body and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and constantly learning as well. You, you know, you, you never sort of stop learning. You yeah, the eternal students. Yeah, yeah, same yeah. with counselling as as we know. Yeah. Right. So full-time martial artist. Yeah, these answers are miles better than ours. All the same. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all the same. Yeah. <laughs> Question number nine. What profession would you definitely not like to attempt? I wanted to be uh, a policeman when I was younger. Mm, uh, okay. And actually that question about what would you like to attempt, it would be the police in some ways, but actually I, wouldn't, I really wouldn't like to do the treatment to get mm. at the really front line, they're getting spat at, you know. It's a tough uh, job, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, really it tough. Is a very, uh, it can be a very undervalued job as well, yeah. sadly, um, often. So a police officer would be not your cup of tea. No, definitely not. I'm with the patients either. <laughs> and finally, question number 10. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? It's a really interesting question because I guess you, I guess you both know I was a Christian for a long time. Yeah. Like proper, like full on born again Christian for a long time. So there's a kind of that humility and a bit being a bit scared of going to heaven in case, you know, you didn't quite meet the standard. Mm -hmm. But there was a book I read a while back called, um, I forgot what it was called. It was called The Cabin. Called The, the Cabin. Cabin. And somebody Cabin. meets God. Um, and Jesus just gets side by side with them and, and just is the friend. Um, so to be, met, to be met like an old friend mm. and just to have that walk, that image comes to mind, just having that walk and just saying, what was all that about? Yeah. Just being met by a friend, I think that's really the image that comes to mind. Mm. What and reflecting on your life, or yeah, just the key points, you know, just being up having that walk. I've got this image of walking through a golden field, just with a friend and just having a chat and just saying, "Why did this happen? Why did that happen?" And just kind of just tying up my life a little bit. Nice, yeah. So yeah, not kind of said no, well done, or you know those kind of things, or you're right, lad. You know, just that sense of being met by somebody who's been there at your side all the time. Yeah, mm. interesting. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly it sounds like an incredibly cathartic sort of that's the right way, cathartic sort of experience that yeah. fascinating as yeah. well, fascinating imagery there. 
Okay. Well, that, that book, The Cabin, I, I say it really briefly, it's about somebody who loses the daughter. The daughter's murdered in this cabin. This guy goes back to visit. He's really angry with God. And he's met by God. And not by the God of the kind of, we think that, you know, he's, he's a big guy with a white beard in the sky. Uh, somebody's really personable. Mm. Okay. Sounds like an interesting book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You've got to check that one out. I feel like that's gone off on another tangent. Well, thank you very much for those answers because honestly, in all sincerity, they were brilliant and really, really fascinating answers, weren't they? You know? yeah. And I think when they're more organic, the the definitely. Um, I think sometimes when people have had a lot of time to, to think about it, um, they come up with all real, weird, wonderful answers, can't they? And a bit like when a client comes in and, and we mm. go through certain questions with them and it's just however they're feeling on the day mm-hmm. like I, yeah. you know you could have, maybe something for you to do Paul is you know in a week or two's time ask yourself them questions again and see if the answers are the same yeah that'd be interesting, that'd be interesting yeah. but that's really the point you just made there Brian is uh, really it comes back to what Paul's I think the first question was it the favourite word you said it was present, present yeah. and that's exactly what you're kind of yeah. you know getting at there really isn't it that sense of answering those questions in a in a present body and in a present mind, mm, yeah. you know, um, yeah. allowing yourself to be sincere in the moment. Yeah. Fascinating. As you said, this is an episode uh, to get to know Paul, but also get to know get to pick your brains around uh, as a, an overview yeah. of of trauma, really, and mental health. Um, so, could we? Could we just start off, Paul, just to give us a little bit of a, a little bit of a background on yourself and what got you into the the world of mental health, the world of therapy? Yeah, um, if my younger self could see myself now, it'd be really weird because I was a little bit of a scallion in school, did nothing in school, absolutely nothing. And we'll go too deeply into. I give you like a kind of just a running view. Um, didn't even open my exam stuff in school. Mm-hmm. Thought I'd get nowhere. Anyway. About 20, maybe 30 years ago, I'm looking on a bit now, I was depressed. Mm. And I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, Oh, you need some counselling. And I actually said to the doctor, swearing inappropriately, it's bullshit. <laughs> uh, went, to the, went to a counsellor, because he sent me to a counsellor. Um, only had one session. Really turned me, thought, me thinking around. Mm. Kind of opened up the world to therapy for me. It was really interesting. Worked with homeless people, uh, voluntary work. Yes, I used to be really into the church, like some voluntary work with the homeless, and we'd give them breakfast in the morning, and they'd really open up and have a chat, and we'd go back in the night time, and they'd go and they'd turn to like the drugs and alcohol or whatever, and I'd say, are you all right? I thought we'd spoke about this morning. And they'd just be, you know, not in a place to talk or even remember. Mm. And I realised I was adding to that. I was opening them up, and they were having to go away and numb them, which in way they could. So. Uh, did the level two counselling course to be able to shut down conversations. Um, my tutor was really kind. She was. She would say like, you know, you've got a real national affinity for this. Um, so just carried on training. Absolutely fell in love with it. Um, didn't he have any inkling about having a job in counselling? Didn't do it for any money at all. Just I just loved it. Um, did some CBT, trained in person centre counselling and then did some CBT after that because I thought we needed something a little bit more robust for anxiety disorders, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things around OCD, um, PTSD. So I had that structure in place and then started getting little bits of work uh, at a place called Listen and Ear in Halewood, working with people who were struggling with employment. 
volunteered at the university for a bit, University of Liverpool, which is a big learning experience, and then got a job um, in a young person's charity um, where we kind of met. Yeah. Uh, I'd managed a little service for a while as well. And just going along, I'd, I'd, I'd noticed that, you know, there's a few experiences, just thinking about it like, as, as trauma, as a trauma kind of informed therapist. Just experiences losing people that they just felt like down time holes where I couldn't help them in, in conversations with counselling and they just disappear. And I thought, I can't reach them. And it's because we didn't have the right tools at that time or experience at that time. They just felt like down a time hole into the trauma. And it was all I could do just to pull them back. Quite scary, quite yeah. scary as a young, young therapist. And then there was the Manchester bombing. Um, and my heart just really went out. Um, and there was a there was a guy advertising on Facebook a memory restructuring intervention. He'd come over from Israel um, and he'd had this proven technique to, to, to stop PTSD. Uh, wanted volunteer therapists to go down there. So I volunteered to go down there. Uh, and the theory behind his, I'll say it really quickly, is you, you, you put the places of the trauma in place before they become displaced and become uh, PTSD. It's like almost putting a shattered mirror back together. And sometimes there'll be pieces missing that you can't quite find. But if you put it back together as much as you can, it's not going to come back in flashbacks. So yeah, I can go off on a tangent, but I'm not going to. Yeah, so I did that. Worked with probably 35, 40 people with this memory destruction. Were they survivors of the bombing, were they? Survivors of the bombing, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's been, there's been people who'd seen it. There'd been people who hadn't seen it. There'd been people who'd actually... You know, one person had um, bumped into the, into the guy, walked past him, um, and then as he detonated, they, they were hit with shrapnel. Nice. Uh, so a lot of varied, varied stuff around the bombing. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that was really good, really interesting, the trauma model uh, back then. Then uh, people who did brain spotting, the trainers for brain spotting in, in, in England. Mm. Brain spotting came, has been around for the last couple of years, because it's kind of come out of the MDR. They come to Manchester and offer us training at a reduced rate. So I went along and trained in level one and two for brain spotting. And uh, worked with a couple of people around the bomb and after that and a couple more people were brain spotting and found that really, really useful. Mm -hmm. Did a bit more training in um, trauma informed stuff like the rewind technique, which was which was amazing, which kind of pushed me towards like EMDR. Like rewind and brain spot, and it's got a growing evidence base, but it's not kind of in nice guidelines. It's not an approved therapy because mm -hmm. it hasn't got all the randomized trials with it. So over the last couple of years, they've trained in EMDR, uh, really robust uh, method of counsel, method of trauma therapy. Mm. So I've trained in person-centered CBT. I don't sound like I'm, I'm, I'm being smart. No, please tell us because I think it's helpful for us to uh, counsel for depression, interpersonal psychotherapy. And I think now after doing EMDR, I've stripped everything back to person-centered uh, counsel for depression and EMDR. And now I work in the NHS and it's a real balanced caseload. Work with a lot of depressed clients uh, and part of it is working with EMDR with traumatized clients. Can I, can I quite the journey. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like, which is, um, you know, and, and again, we could have spent a whole episode of really going, going into that journey, yeah. couldn't we? But I think, um, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're looking at trauma today, but I think it's good to get a bit of an insight and a bit of a background into, you know, how you start off at one place and, and then mm -hmm. end up at, at another place. Um, just for people who are, who are listening, what, what does EMDR stand for? Eye movement, desensitisation and reprocessing. 
Well, I say that to clients as well, and it's like I, I have to remember it too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's quite a, yeah. it's quite a long. These words quite long, isn't it? Type of thing. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. There's a lot of acronyms in mental health as yeah. well, isn't there? You know. Yeah. Can I just ask Paul? Um, the when you started working with the uh, survivors of the Manchester bombing, or you know, treatments of people around, in, in relation to that that event. Was that the first time you'd really focused on being a, a yeah, in a structured way, yeah, in a structured way to actually say, yeah, we're going to work on this specific trauma, we're going to do this. Yeah. Um, work with some people in the past who died, you know, PTSD and complex PTSD, but really didn't have the tools. Yeah. Yeah, available. And we find sometimes is that, you know, with all the best intentions as counsellors, we can make it worse sometimes if we don't know what we're doing with it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's so many stories of people going for counselling and being opened up, and the counsellor not being able to close that off, not being able to tune, not being able to kind of just boundary that. And that's you know, that's through no um, new fault of their own. It's not ill intentioned, does it? Yeah, it needs to be in the train, I think. Yeah, definitely. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I suppose in some ways you could say that's that applies to kind of everyday life as well, doesn't it? Like we're we had an, um, an episode in the first series, <coughs> all available online for free, um, cheeky plug there, but I know in all seriousness we, we had a conversation in one of our episodes in the first series about um, the difference between a trained therapist and people in your personal life who, who love you and mm -hmm. want to look, protect yeah. you and care for you and, and rescue you maybe. Um, and that was one of the themes that we kind of, I think it's, you know, it's such, a, such an important point that you that you're making there for you know that sense of it's not an intention people want to rescue yeah. they want to fix other people and i was just wondering for yourself there with particularly with such a kind of uh high profile of event in the mm. public consciousness shall we say in, in terms of the manchester bombing um but when you're working with survivors of that did you feel at any point like the rescuer in you was coming up and you wanted to fix people or were you very like were you able to manage that in yourself, you know, the kind of um, remaining professional and, tr and treating the trauma rather than the... It's, yeah, no, yeah it, does, it does, it's a very good point. With, up to before the point, but when it's an acute stress disorder, when it's an, a normal response to a stressful event, you best stay in cognitive, you know. Um, it was really difficult because what you want to do is empathise with people. Mm. So when somebody is traumatised, they are stuck in the, the lower part of the brain, like the limbic system. That's where all the emotions are going on, but what you want to do is pull them into the cognitive. This was the theory behind it. Mm -hmm. And they showed a video, they showed a video of a bombing in Israel. And one lady being told, get moving, keep going, given, being given a command, being pulled into the, the prefrontal cortex, given a command, taking some control. And then the next lady, somebody just touched them on the arm and said, it's okay, don't be scared, I'm with you. And she collapsed because they were taking it deeper into the trauma. Yeah. So it was a really good, really good learning point. Wow, that yeah, you, that you don't want to rescue them and pull them deeper into the, into the emotional brain. You need to just do the intervention and say, okay, there's a bang, there was a bang. Okay, what was that bang? Well, it was somebody blowing themselves up. Okay, so the bang was somebody blowing themselves up. And it sounds really harsh. You, you take the emotion out of it in yeah, ways, yeah. yeah because later on down the line a bang to them could be somebody blowing themselves up 
if it gets lost in that kind of the limbic system yeah mm-hmm. but actually doing that and tying it together later on with your head a bang oh it's not that mm-hmm. if that's a car door so the bang just becomes an association if it's not processed and what that it's that bang yeah. is a different bang from you know other bangs that you might yeah, see yeah. Cause what happens in the brain with trauma i'm probably going a little bit too deep into it at this point maybe is the hippocampus normally files your memories mm-hmm. um so when we're, when we're talking now the hippocampus is doing its work and it's filing the memory but actually in trauma the hippocampus doesn't do that it provides cortisol to the body so it shuts down for a bit so it's not filing the memory and that's why it gets stuck that's why that bang will become later on down the line it will the, the hippocampus will remember that mm-hmm. send a signal to the amygdala and flood your body with that kind of that stress hormone it's a stress but it's hormone still stuck there. Stress and it's not filed that memory right yeah. so the, 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 the pre-PTSD intervention was to do that to help file the memory mm-hmm. and, and I think you know um, like you said about sort of somebody going into therapy um, with, with a therapist who maybe is not trained around around trauma and that sort of re-traumatisation and things like that yeah. I definitely agree that it should be taught that there should be at least one model definitely. that's taught to all counsellors about um, how to um, at least avoid re-traumatisation mm-hmm. I know in CBT you do do a little bit of that but I can't remember when I done my counselling training if, if I learned that that's something I've learned later yeah. on when I've done um, trauma work and, and different models and um, it could be because the, the and, you know tell me if I'm wrong but my understanding of it is at a very basic level when you first start working with trauma it's about um, safety and grounds and before mm-hmm. you get into the trauma work yeah. So if, if somebody comes into therapy with trauma and the therapist knows to just, rather than open up that trauma, to just get that person at a point where they feel safe within themselves and grounded, then that just avoids the re-traumatisation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because they come in with that head and heart thing, don't they? They come in shouldn't be feeling this way. This doesn't make sense. I'm safe. But the body's trying to save them. The body's getting them all that other stuff. And actually befriending the body by doing loads of ground as you say brian yeah i think that's, that's a great way to start and i think a really good a book that i started what got me into interested in trauma was in the body keeps the score which a lot of a lot of that is about isn't it how the yeah. body reacts to, to the brain and, and, and trauma um, and even saying that then I, I was aware saying how the body reacts to the brain but the, the one thing it's one entity isn't it it's the, not, yeah. the brain and body aren't two two different things and that's what then got me more interested in trauma. Um, I haven't done EMDR yet, but I, I plan on yeah. doing it when the opportunity arises very soon, hopefully. Um, but I do do bits of work around around trauma. Um, but a lot of the work I do is around that safety and grounding yeah. elements of, of it. Yeah. And we'll we'll definitely um, you know, get into that conversation today with with Paul around the different treatments we've mentioned EMDR and you mentioned before brain spotters yeah. and. Um, the rewind technique as well so i think it'd be good for for us to just have a little chat about that and you know what that what that what that does if you like yeah, you know yeah. I mean, and what that's suitable for but i just thought if we can before we get into kind of the different like uh, treatment modalities shall we say um you mentioned before paul around uh, or we were talking at the beginning of the episode around the kind of vocabulary of trauma and, and the everyday vocabulary and i've certainly said it hundreds of times in my life you know I was traumatised with that mm. traumatic event or whether I've said it in jest or in sincerity you know 
Um, but when we say what is trauma, I guess, how is trauma defined like now and how's it changed? Do you have, you know, any, uh, what's, your, what's your understanding of that, how the, how the definition of trauma has changed over time? But it's a massive like, question, isn't it? It's a massive it question. Is, it is. I just think that for me, I, I would define trauma to a client mm -hmm. is that it's the it's a normal response to a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. I think we've got much more understanding of it now. I think we've had conversations before about what it used to be. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be called hysteria, didn't it? And we spoke about this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was often seen as um, only women experienced yeah. what we think, what we now understand as trauma, hysteria was like, oh, you're being hysterical, and it was a very sexist sort of... Yeah, yeah, because um, the men would be, uh, for the men it would be shell shock, wouldn't it? It would only be acceptable come back from more shell shock, so that's quite... Because I think that was, I know it was used in, like, the world, but like, World War One and Two, sort of shell shock and things, but I think it only, PTSD didn't really start getting locked down until it was, like, the Vietnam War, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. In America, that's yeah, when yeah. they started take, taking a look at, you know, what was happening to these young lads going away and you know witnessing experiencing these things um but yeah prior to that it was just shell shockers and um, which is now we know is ptsd yeah. so what's the difference between ptsd and it and trauma what would you say the key kind of how would you identify how would you kind of um not saying you diagnose them but how would you yeah. recognize them as different things what turns trauma into ptsd but there will be a diagnostic criteria definitely you know the DSM five, you've mentioned it before in, in your podcast. You know, it's 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 looking at that criteria. It's about symptoms that last persistently for a month. So after after the kind of after the Manchester bombing, if you look at that for an example, what happens is the body floods you with everything you need for that traumatic event, fight flight. Over the next couple of days, as the hippocampus does it does its work, that kind of gets filed, that gets moved, and you start to flush those things out. So for the first 30 days, you've got an acute stress, stress response. And that's just normal. You, that would be normal, acute stress response. Up to six months, it's post-traumatic stress, where actually, yet yeah, there's something else maybe needs doing with it. But actually, with the D on the end, post-traumatic stress disorder, is when it becomes something else. It's when it becomes intrusive. You know, there's four criteria for, for um, PTSD. Intrusive thoughts and memories and flashbacks. Things that are pushing in when you don't want them to. It's almost like you're thinking about something today when you start processing something, I'm going to the shop, I need my keys, I need my, I need my phone, I need my wallet. Your brain will say, oh, you're processing stuff and it's almost like the thing is going into a conveyor belt, you're filing it away and your brain's going, oh yeah, yeah, you, you're processing something and it throws a memory on because oh, I want to process that. That's what the brain's trying to do. That's the first one, flashbacks. Then there's avoidance, avoidance of feelings, somatic feelings, things that remind you of events or places or people. And then there's negative thoughts of feelings about yourself, fear, shame, anger, jumpiness, and then reactive symptoms kind of being irritable, more irritable than usual. Right, okay. So those things that are quite stuck. Mm -hmm. yeah. And those, some of, I'd imagine those symptoms that you've just mentioned, when, that, when an event first takes place, that's when they're normal because yeah, the, yeah. the body and brain processing it and doing what it needs yeah. to do to um, help process what's happened, help yeah. make sense of what's happened. It's when those symptoms persist or become worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's when um, it becomes more, obviously looking at 
I think that's when it's a disorder then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, say, they say as you... It's disturbing your sleep, it's disturbing your relationships, it's disturbing your ability to be present. Yeah. Is that word again? Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think that when it's, when it's coming back that, that far down the line and it's disrupting your day, and that when a colour or a smell or a noise just takes you right back to that moment and you're feeling everything in that moment again and you're reliving again, that's, that's the difference. I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it's the, the, uh, when you mentioned the DSM-5, I think the diagnostic criteria for PTSD is if it's three months, after three months after the event, if you're still experiencing all those symptoms you're right, describing, okay. that's, when it's, that's when it could be yeah. in, in, like, diagnosed as a disorder then, as yeah. opposed to experiencing a traumatic event. I mean, if there's a crossover, because I think for NHS guidelines it has to be six months to have that right, diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. So I guess something I... I was um, thinking of when I was asking asking that question before was f for myself and you know I suppose maybe for people listening as well how would you say what is the difference between having negative memories shall we say memories of things that we didn't we didn't like or we class as bad experiences negative experiences and that kind of a traumatic event do you know what I mean is there a, is there a way that you, you could answer that or is that a very case by case I think the difference is is that you know we all have things that have gone on that we don't like but these are intrusive things that we don't want to be thinking about that come back for, for no good reason right they just push into our consciousness mm. somebody's been abused when they were a child you know, uh, you know sexual encounters later on in life when somebody touches them they're taken back to that moment it's intrusive it's not just an unpleasant thought okay because lots of people are abused you know, sadly, mm. but not everybody's left with PTSD. But for some people, it gets stuck. It gets stuck, and that's and gets stuck for different reasons. But, um, yeah, that's that's the difference. When when they don't want to think about it, it comes back. Right. Holding hands with the partner takes them back to that that adult that abused them. So those kind of things that right. aren't quite normal. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. That's a, that really does make sense to that. I think certainly for myself and I say hopefully for anyone listening that's like I think that's a lot of clarity there between that's the difference between a painful past event that's mm -hmm. got negative emotions attached right. to if you like a, ne a, a negative experience and a trauma like yeah. capital T trauma I, uh, anything that pushes into the now and again you know the, the presence again anything that pushes into the now when the when the past is intruding on the present and it actually feels like it's happening mm. Yeah. That's a really important it's like it comes back to what Brian and uh, yourself were saying before about where the body starts reacting as though the trauma is being mm -hmm. experienced. Yeah. You're in a, you're in a, you know, a, an um, a, an actual threat situation, yeah. and the body reacts. Um, and it's an amazing system, isn't it? Because your body's trying to look after yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wants to give you everything you need for that moment because. I don't know whether you've spoken about it before on different podcasts in your, in your thinking brain we're here today we're in the therapy shed it's lovely it's chilled out mm -hmm. two great fellas but actually <laughs> when, when a trauma happens the older brain hasn't got a timeline you know if they were here now and they heard something or smelled something that reminded them of a traumatic event the old brain hasn't got a timeline thinks it's in that moment rather than the shed today okay. it's back in that moment and gives you everything you need for that moment yeah. so it reacts it to, the, to that moment rather than the the present yeah 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 because the old brain's faster than our, our thinking brain it responds much much quicker it's much more powerful and faster as well as uh, yeah there's a we mentioned this book in a previous episode didn't we the uh, the chimp paradox and mm -hmm. you know that the, yeah. the sports kind of psychologist uh, steve peters and he talks 
quite specifically about that the idea of fighting with your old brain will never work you don't fight with it you try and build a relationship yeah. with it and work with it and as you say like in the case of trauma process those those uh, <coughs> excuse me those traumatic um memories or events so he says if you fight with the limbic system you will definitely lose it's faster and it's far more powerful yeah, than yeah. the thinking brain it's just it's very instinctive isn't it that's that's it, it by, by design it's, it's quite instinctive so it doesn't it doesn't have it's almost that fast it doesn't have time to think because yeah. it just has to react very instinctive because it's about keeping yourself safe isn't it yeah. ultimately that, that's its job I'm not a, I'm not an expert in the brain but no bits and bobs when, when something comes in when we hear something it goes to the thalamus mm-hmm. and that decides oh what's that about where does that need to go and if you haven't worked on PTSD it sends the signal straight to the, the amygdala you know I've heard that car door I was in Vietnam, I heard, I heard the gun go off. That car door sounds like a, a gun. I'll send this message to the amygdala. We're in danger. It gives you everything you need in your body. But actually, what happens, that's a split second. It doesn't even think about just boom, yeah. just happens. And it's great, isn't it? If you need it. Because mm-hmm. if he is getting shot at, you need to get that. That's it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the protection. The but once you work and you bring that, you disconnect that normal response, it goes to the thalamus and then goes to the prefrontal cortex. It says, actually, it's not a bullet, it's, it's the door. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Something before we we get onto the because um, as you say we could go off on a million tangents. Yeah, yeah really definitely. Um, loving this conversation, uh, but before we get onto the talking about the different um, treatments for trauma, yeah. like as we mentioned, EMDR and, and brain spotting and the rewind technique and so on, which we'll come onto in a moment. But I just wanted to ask you if it's okay around the uh, the vicarious trauma and the area mm-hmm. of, and. The, I suppose treatments of vicarious trauma or how that's different because I, I, something that comes to mind when I was listening to you talk and then Paul was uh, there was a key study that was done I think it was done in the States back in the late 80s that was kind of pivotal I think for trauma as a um, as an area of mental health you know trauma, trauma as, an, as an overall kind of as a body if you like uh, and it was I forget the researchers now, so forgive me, but it was done in the late 80s and it was basically that vicarious trauma actually can be just as powerful as experiencing the events, what they, what these researchers mm-hmm. proved or basically, you know, explored and, and provided a lot of evidence for was that if you watch a movie and, you, and you're really scared by something that happened in the movie, I'm sure it's something we can all relate to where all of a sudden you're like, I'm scared to go out to my car in the dark now because I've just watched a movie. Yeah. You know, and that's like vicarious trauma, isn't it? That's an example of vicarious trauma. And this study was quite extensive and basically what they said was the world is actually becoming, in most parts of the world, far more safer than it has been in you know recorded history. And yet we're actually becoming more scared of everyday things, more and more. We're more anxious than we've ever been in many ways in everyday life and they said and a lot of that is due to vicarious trauma we're stimulated yeah. by movies and the media a lot more uh, you know we're more connected which obviously means that and particularly nowadays i guess with social media that's been amplified yeah. even more hasn't it you know so i guess what i want to ask you is what's your what's your insight on that like vicar- experience of vicarious trauma and can you be traumatized by in the same is it a different type of trauma or can you be traumatized similarly to actually experience an event too if you witness an event I think it's just really interesting what you said Mark about how exposed we are now I think when I, when I was a kid you know 52 when I was a kid you got the news at 10 o'clock and it was just like they'd have a nice little they'd show you the news and then there'd be a little bit of a nice story at the end but we're saturated now 
yeah. every little thing is like you know pops up on Facebook and it stresses you out somebody who's miles away who has a fight in a, in a supermarket you know it's big news now so we're getting it all the time yeah, mm. yeah and there's a, there's a new part in the dsm5 the last one that came out to show that you can get ptsd by constantly witnessing things that you don't want to witness mm -hmm. um, and there's going to be a lot of nhs staff coming through with ptsd because you've had to live with this day by day not something that they want to be going, you know, they, they love the jobs, but constantly being shown things that they don't want to see. And it can happen in counselling as well. Yeah. You know, we, I'm guessing you've experienced it yourselves, you know, we, we, we're kind of, we have supervision, but there's a lot of things that we, we have to hold, a lot of difficult things that we have to hold and work with. Yeah, definitely. And the vicarious trauma, I think that, yeah, I think I've I think I've lost your question now a little bit, but yeah, it, it can it, it is it, it's the same thing. So you can actually experience you can actually um, be traumatized. Yeah, to use that word, be traumatized yeah. by witnessing of it. I mean that example as well. Because even like Sorry. just like just to jump in, because even like with with Manchester, with working so many people, I worked with somebody recently that were doing EMDR. You know, Manchester's probably up three or four years ago now. Yeah. Because um, I've worked with so many people. Uh, I was feeling a bit traumatized by it because right. you reliving, reliving. You know, I can, I can, you know, horrible to say, but I can smell something. Okay, what's that smell? Somebody on fire. I can hear a bang. You know, somebody pushed the door up and got a blast in the face. So holding all of those things and even thinking about it now, I can feel a little bit, oof, a little bit stress reaction coming up. But it's about that self care, isn't it? It's about that knowing when it's time to get off and say actually. Mm. and he said just disconnect a bit mm. it's that self-awareness isn't it i think yeah. which which is what as again as therapists that you know it's it's always a good um habit to, yeah. to get into around sort of self-care and that reflection yeah. and just self-awareness around sort of what you're dealing with and, and carrying i think just about the uh, vicarious trauma that's obviously why um on the movie certainly and i think it was a lot easier when you used to get DVDs and videos because they, they'd come with obviously a rating didn't they if you know yeah. 15, 18 because if you're a, a, a 10, 11 year old watching a film that's um, for an 18 year old with maybe lots of violence in or horror or mm -hmm. you know whatever um, at that age your brain's not quite developed enough to be able to understand what they're seeing and mm -hmm. that's where then the um, the trauma can then come into it can't it um, but I think now again you know it's, it's a lot harder to monitor what you're going to watch whether that be something on Netflix or um, you know just on the telly it doesn't come with those ratings yeah. of like 15, 18 type of thing and even talking about like the news I, I've noticed over the last couple of years now they show more and more explicit images don't they so you'll see like dead bodies and, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know if there's been where I'm thinking back a few years ago it, the, the, you didn't see that as much where you see more you're exposed to more extreme yeah images and, and sort of things and as you say you know people have phones now so when an event's happening if, it, if it's a fight it's often videos yeah. and then um, sent round sometimes you, you you don't even choose whether you see it or not you can just click on something yeah. and, and it, you, you the next minute you're watching it you, there's no I know certain videos might come up with a warning you know graphic yeah. content and stuff but a lot don't you have such an invasive experience yeah I couldn't agree more with what you're saying you have we, we have such an invasive experience of the a fight in, in to use that example as well as it's invading our world if you like mm. and, and breaking our boundaries down by popping up on 
you know, a social media feed or whatever, you actually have an invasive experience of the fight, to, to use that example, because as you say, it can be recorded. If it's something on the news, it's likely going to be on social media and a lot of different kind of modes of recording as well. So it's just some, all those boundaries have kind of been really, at best they've become porous, but often they've just mm. completely been broken down with, with the, uh, you know, the explosion of social media, haven't they? Yeah. You know I mean? So definitely there's, there's the big events, isn't there? There's, you know, there's car crashes, fires those big events that we call big t traumas mm -hmm. the small t traumas that happen to us continually mm -hmm. and then there's these kind of invasives and that porous word really good you know we just it just it just keeps on hitting us and we have to just soak it up yeah yeah and people don't realize do they i think you know if you're constantly exposed to those smaller things every day mm -hmm. they don't necessarily realize the impact that it could be having long term if you're yeah. not processing that or deal, dealing with that um and that sort of yeah, do, you know, it, it, it's almost unnoticeable, really, isn't it? Until it gets to a point where your brain just thinking, I can't, I can't make yeah. sense of this. And then there's there's those stuff in childhood that we haven't even spoke about yet. That complex PTSD, where there's the relational trauma, where they're getting where they're getting trauma from caregivers constantly, mm -hmm. and they just suck that up. And then an adulthood kind of comes out in a much different way. You have to you have to work with that in a different way than a, a single single uh, event trauma mm -hmm. it's fascinating as you can tell yeah. I love it and like, like, like we said at the beginning you, you know we could pick out one small part of what we're talking about today and spend a three hour episode oh, yeah. because it, it, it's that big I mean what the idea of today is hopefully is to try and give a bit of an overview and to let people know who, who are listening who maybe feel like they've experienced some yeah. trauma uh, and this is a question to follow on from this but that um, you know one it's, it's, it's normal yeah. although it might not feel normal it, it is normal to be experiencing these symptoms or you know however you're feeling and to there's things that that can be done you know to, to help that yeah um i think it's what paul said but just off the back of what you're saying there right i think paul what paul said before it's i think that can be an invaluable thing to remind ourselves of and as you say if anybody's listening who maybe is, had, is having or has had a similar experience it's the body's way of trying to keep you safe, you know. Mm -hmm. It really is. So it's not a, an abnormal thing, although it can be, you know, although it can be terif a terrifying experience yeah. when you feel traumatized. It is the body's designed to keep us safe first and foremost, yeah. and that is often, if I'm if I'm understanding what you're saying, right, Paul. That's often what's happening with experiencing trauma is your body's trying to actually yeah. keep you alive. Yeah, and actually coming in, you know, people coming into therapy. Just normalising that, a bit of education around that, that it's, this is normal, your body's trying to look after itself and it takes away a lot of that shame. Because yeah. everybody, we spoke about friends trying to help before, just get over it, it's a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, like, cognitively, yeah, they want to get over it, but you know, the body's holding on to it, the brain's stuck in a loop sometimes. Yeah. Because it's trying to look after them. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the question I was going to ask Paul, do you, do you think um, the majority of people, most people, at some point have experienced trauma? Yeah, definitely. I think everything's. I think everything's trauma. The more I've kind of put on me, 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 me trauma spectacles, everything's trauma. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what made me ask the question because yeah. I believe that too. I, I think um, most people at some point in their lives have experienced some level of trauma. Yeah. Um, but the difference is, which is what you've already mentioned around, you know, how it's processed, and I think that also depends on what's going on for that particular person at that particular yeah. time and in the life if they're already stressed if they've already got things going on then you know an, another event can just be too much it can yeah. just overload the brain almost and, definitely um, 
you know that's what develops them into more complex um, trauma. Yeah. And I think with that, it's about it's about the, the great thing about counselling is that you can be yourself, isn't it? You you can work with that kind of part of yourself. It, there's a therapy called internal family systems, and they talk about different parts of self. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a part of yourself which is so traumatized it becomes an exile, mm-hmm. where nobody gets near it, and you become a protector and a manager, and you keep people away from it. But actually coming to therapy and working with that traumatized part of yourself is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I can imagine that to be fascinating to work with, to work in that way with, for the client and of course yourself as well as a therapist. As well. Yeah, yeah. I think you know even in counselling, I think that we get to that part where you know it's in counselling called the organismic self, the true self. Yeah. It's kind of listening for that voice, that kind of exile part that nobody, that people shut down, that people didn't hear. Yeah. Very. But we're all very passionate, aren't we, about this? Oh, indeed, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, just uh, I keep saying just before we get into the treatment because it's fascinating, a great conversation. Um, kind of a segue, really, in some ways, to to talking about the the you know the treatment modalities for trauma, trauma treatment uh, approaches. When you're um, Talking about how trauma's evolved, I guess, over time and, and the understanding of trauma and the treatment of trauma. Um, I remember an, uh, a, a course I did on trauma with a guy, in fact, he was, you kindly recommended this uh, this guy to me, um, Dr. Gentry, yeah. Eric Gentry, his name is, and he's kind of a trauma bigwig, uh, brilliant, brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. And he said that the 20th century treatment for trauma was that was kind of his, his way of I guess to, yeah. to put it in a box if you like the 20th century treatment for trauma was you drag somebody back to that traumatic event mm. and you'd ask them to relive it essentially yeah. in the therapy room of course and in a safe way but you'd ask them to relive it and put it back together and he says that now more so nowadays we're actually saying trauma is about reigniting like positive expectancy in your present self mm. it comes back to that word again but being more present and actually and it would it would only really be if something is having flashbacks. So I guess the Manchester bomb would be a good mm-hmm. example. It's if somebody is experiencing flashbacks and all of those those um, criteria, those uh, the diagnostic yeah. criteria you went through before, intrusive thoughts and experience, that sort of thing. It would only be if someone's really experiencing that that you'd go back and and relive the trauma in some ways or add narrative mm-hmm. to the trauma. He says more so nowadays. We're looking at actually connected to your future self rather than reliving your past events mm. and I just wondered where you where you were with that what your take on that is yeah a, a big fan of Eric Gently big fan and I disagree in some ways and I do that, as well with yeah. that and I, I, I agree sorry to interrupt you yeah. but I agree with what you're saying yeah. I love him but I didn't yeah. sit with didn't sit well with me that because it doesn't have to just be flashbacks you can be working on a sense of self because all that is connected to the past. You know, if you look at the palm of your hand, you've got a core memory, and then you know that could you could work on that core memory, and that could be gone. But you've got all these fingers, all these offshoots of other memories about you started to feel about yourself. They're going to need some work too. And it's not about pressing forward because one one of the traumas is gone. It's about clearing those pathways until they're ready. Mm-hmm. In EMDR, we call it uh, adaptive information processing. What the brain does, it forgets all the good stuff that was around at the time just remembers the bad stuff so it's about getting that balance getting that balance up not about going forward about actually the good stuff they were doing back then 
You know, I keep on going back to Manchester Bomb just because it's it's today. You know, the people running out. I was terrified I should have done more, but you know what will happen on the way out? I'll pick somebody up. Okay, and you pick somebody up while a bomb had gone off. You know, to remind them of those things. Actually, yeah, you were doing good things back there then too. Um, and I think that it comes to a point where you've, if you've cleared a lot of the trauma and you feel okay, yet there's building into that future self. Okay, so what would you like? Would you like to respond differently? That's something we can do in the MDR as well. But in counselling as well, it's kind of that relapse prevention, isn't it? We come to the end of counselling. So what's going to happen next time this happens? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a little bit like the the analogy that I, I often use with with people around sort of if you've got if you've got weeds in your garden, you can go around and cut the weeds off, and your garden will look nice. But in three four months time, those weeds will grow back back up. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you need to really do, or what's going to be probably long term the most helpful, which takes a bit more work, is to dig down to the the root of those yeah. weeds, get the root out, you know, tidy it up. Put the soil back on, get it nice, and then those weeds won't come back through. It takes a bit more work, but long term, you, you know, you're going to benefit from that longer. Otherwise, every six months you're going to have to come out and take all the weeds yeah, off. Yeah, that, that's the kind of analogy. That's a great idea. Yeah, So you mentioned the MDR. Then we've mentioned it a few times, but you said before. Remind us again. What does it stand for? Eye movement desensitization oh, and reprocessing. I nearly got him that time. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pause a minute, access it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so if it's okay, can we can we go on to that? So that's that's something you're trained in. You're an yeah. EMDR yeah. therapist, yeah. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about that? What sort of how does that treat trauma? What does that what does that do if you like to trauma and what what what's, what does that involve? You know, succinctly I'd say to a client, uh, what it does, it makes a past trauma a normal memory. You know, we can all remember stuff in the past and it doesn't bother us, but then sometimes a PTSD is a memory that just won't go away, keeps on looping, keeps on coming back, and EMDR helps you to put that back. It doesn't change the memory, but helps it sit differently, you don't get the somatic feelings, it kind of doesn't trouble you, it doesn't bleed into your daily life. So I'm guessing you're asking how? Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just having a drink of water. Um, yeah. So I guess how how does it do that in? Because that sounds magic, really, in many ways, doesn't it? I guess if some someone's experiencing, you know, trauma and yeah, I would say magic to that process. But how does it do that? I was really sceptical when I when I trained in it, and, and my clients are, and a lot of really? clients are. It sounds like a lot of rubbish. It sounds like uh, sounds like a bit of a magic thinking. So it's thinking about the brain. When, as we're growing in the womb, the brain develops, you know, your spine develops first, and then the lower part of your brain, which is the reptilian brain, back to the next part that grows, that looks after all of your bodily functions, breathing, regulation. The next part that grows is the emotional brain, the limbic system. And this is how it develops in the womb. Um, and that's your sense of belonging, your sense of purpose, you know, your pleasure and your fear center. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of the pre, the neocortex grows and the, th- the front of your brain that keeps on growing up, up to the age of twenty four, and actually that's how the brain grows and that's how the brain processes trauma, as well. So quite often, no amount of talking therapy sometimes can can shift trauma. It has to take a long time. Now, when people for a long time just talking therapy and it has healed the trauma. So you you've got the trauma held in the emotional brain and the reptilian brain system and they really work closely with each other. Mm-hmm. When a fear happens, 
contacts the reptilian brain, you get everything into your body that you need. Okay. And your thinking brain is going, what the hell's going on? I shouldn't be feeling like this. Is so, that where that self, I guess that's the point where you mentioned before about often, I suppose we all can, but you mentioned clients that can have that sense of, it doesn't make sense because yeah, why am I re reacting like this when there's nothing yeah. going on? There's is that the stage where your thinking brain is it doesn't make sense to your thinking brain the way your body's reacting yeah yeah i'm going mad okay. i'm going mad i can i shouldn't be feeling this way this happened years ago why has it come back now and why, why when i've seen something on television why has that come back now I, you know that happened years ago but it, the brains look for something that's the, the kind of uh the limbic system is looking for danger looking for signs always like when you step off a curb sometimes and you just stop because you know there's a car coming but you haven't seen it that part of your brain just takes over and stops you. And it's the same with PTSD. Sometimes it'll see a trigger and it'll just go ah, in right, that moment. Okay. So when you're talking to somebody, there's the the thinking part of the brain and the emotional part of the brain, mm -hmm. and the trauma and the thinking are in two different parts. So the, it takes a long time to connect. And with the MDR, what we're doing is we force them to think about the memory. Force them to think about the memory. <laughs> That'd be really bad, wouldn't it? We say, okay, the memory is coming back anyway. So let's work on it. Yeah. You know, it's scary, it's coming back. So you bring it into the, the thinking part of the brain, the short-term memory. Ask them what they're feeling about it in the moment. So it invokes, the, invokes the, the memory, thinking about it, invokes the somatic feelings. And then what you do is say, okay, let's process that. And what you're doing there is you're pulling it into a short-term memory and it's almost like getting a hard drive on a new computer and put, trying to put it on a floppy disk. Right. It just can't hold the information. Yeah. So what it does is it files it because it can't hold it in the short term memory. It can't hold the emotional charge. It can't hold the memory. So it has to file it. Okay. Any questions around that? I don't know. It sounds like no. I, I mean, I think you know it makes it makes um, it makes sense. Yeah. And and I think so. I suppose before you get to that stage, though, I'm presuming that with a client you're getting some you get them to a place where they're able to feel safe yeah and um and yeah grounds within yeah. themselves which you know we, we've sort of touched on yeah, definitely and um, i'd imagine that's that's a big part of certainly the start of the mdr to get the yeah. person in a set where they feel safe enough to be able to to do this work it still might be quite frightening for them and, and even overwhelming them, but also the, there's a sense of feeling safe yeah, definitely. Uh, the, it's eight phases the MDR, and maybe I should have slowed it down a little bit and said that there's eight phases to it. And we'll go through the eight phases, but it's Judith Herman's model. Mm -hmm. There's the grounding and stabilization, then there's the reprocessing or narrative work, and then there's the future work. Uh, yeah, so we we kind of work on we do a lot of talking first. Maybe you know I work in the NHS, so it's like six sessions. But ideally, you need to go three or four sessions first to talk about what's mm -hmm. happened. And then get them to regulate and give them homework, and it will be kind of safe space work, creating a space where they don't feel the trauma. Okay. Um, there's a technique called light stream where you can kind of dissipate some feelings of stress. There's container work where you, you get the clients something to put the, the trauma in so it doesn't jump out between sessions. Mm -hmm. And when they feel safe enough, that's when you start the processing work. Um, so and that's crucial that's then, isn't it? The safety and stabilisation. Yeah, yeah, you can't do anything else. And some people can't tolerate it. Some people can't. That's where you can engage it. Are they right for this? Can they get better? Can they get worse before they get better? Because some people's stress buckets is completely full. And what you're trying to do is empty that a bit. But kind of really important. Have they got the potential to get 
especially with trauma, the potential to get worse before they get better. And, and that's why sometimes, because I tend to use the do the thermal model of trauma when I'm working with with trauma is that phase one or stage one of that safety and grounds and sometimes it, for some people that's all that they're able to do at that point yeah. and then they may, maybe, maybe need to um, go away spend a bit more time on focusing on that before they're then ready to go to stage two which yeah. then could be in, in your case EMDR or I know you've mentioned brain spot or when that CBT or trauma yeah, focus um, so w- what my understanding of it is and, and the way I try and work is if you don't do phase one, then phase two is not going to have the same effect. Yeah. You need to get phase one, which is the safety and grounds, and um, you know, t- t- to the point where then you're ready to then move on to yeah. stage. Because they've got to have that sense of control back, haven't they, mm-hmm. before they start that stuff? I think that's the crucial thing, isn't it? It's yeah. like the um, you kind of it's to put it, I suppose, in a very very simple description, like your self belief has got to come back that you can actually do things for yourself yeah. and. and because that stabilise yourself. The hard work is sometimes, especially with complex PTSD, is that some people have never felt safe and feeling safe is terrifying. So when you're doing the grounding okay. work, that's really difficult because that's a block too, because I've never felt safe. I've always had to be on alert. And so you have to work creative, quite creatively with that sometimes. Yeah. And I, mean, I, I would guess as well, and, and it does resonate in some ways, although of, of course I'm not, as specialised as, as your good self around trauma, working with clients with anxiety disorders um, or, you know, I suppose all areas really of mental health, clients presenting to sessions with depression, anxiety, social anxiety, whatever it may be, OCD as well, that is, I think, can be such a huge step for, for the, the therapy sessions, you know, for the person just actually feeling like, I can have at least some time in my day where I'm not really self-critical or I'm not, you know, overwhelmed with anxiety, yeah. overwhelmed with worry, um, constantly on guard, constantly with my defences up. That can be such a turning point, you know, just yeah, actually yeah. getting to that stage. And giving them that technique to, to go away with and do that themselves. But actually, as the MDR starts, about it's about keeping them, kind of when we get into the processing stuff, when we get into the eye movement and those kind of things. Just going back to what I was saying before, is when we work with the, the, the thinking part of the brain, the, the prefrontal cortex and mm. the limbic system, it's about the limbic systems in the past and the neocortex, the thinking brains in the present. And as a therapist, you have to keep that foot, one foot in each. Because sometimes they can be disassociated and drift into that memory so far. So you've really got to keep them present. So it's keeping one foot in the, in the, in the thinking brain to help that trauma process and one foot in the past. So it's about reminding the client that you're there, you're with them. They're not by themselves. It's an old memory. The brain's trying to heal. If we get, it's like taking a splinter out of a wound. You know, if you've got a cut, you leave a splinter in. It's never going to heal. This is about taking that splinter out, that thing that's stuck, to kind of moving forward. And with the eye movements, they're not quite sure how it move, how, how it works. Sometimes we tap, I kind of bilateral on your knees or butterfly hooks, so your hands on each side. Eye movements where clients will follow your fingers, and they reckon it's like um, REM sleep. So when you're in REM sleep, your eyes are moving, and they say that's when you're processing your memories, that's when you're processing your day. Sometimes you go to bed and you'll go, just can't get this problem out of my head. Mm-hmm. You doze off and you wake up in the morning, it's different because you don't have time to process it. So it's almost like manually filing this memory where it needs to be. 
and you're looking for shifts, you're looking for a shift in feelings, bodily feelings, you're looking for a shift in the memory. Um, and you can't predict it, you can't predict what's going to happen. Sometimes clients are, oh, it's like a, it's like it's behind a, a frosty window now, or, you know, it's kind of, it's, I've got a bit more distance from it. Uh, my adult self has come in sometimes, an adult self will just turn up or a protector and change the memory. Someone who was working with recently, uh, actually someone came in and they took a door off. They took the door off the room that they were traumatised oh, wow. in, and they, they destroyed the door, and that part of themselves could leave. And then when you come back the next week, you say, okay, well, what's it like this week? Well, door's off now, so I'm, I'm not there anymore. It just feels a bit different. It's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Sounds very powerful. So yeah. Yeah, because when you were talking then about sort of, you know, with not quite, being quite sure with their eyes, sort of moving and stuff, how, how it works, I think I do, um, not not so much with, with, with trauma, very, very rarely with trauma, but if I'm doing hypnotherapy, um, it's the same type of, similar type of process, mm-hmm. obviously slightly different, but, um, when you start to look at making the change that the person wants to make, one of the things you sort of notice is sort of the, the eye movement yeah. um, changes. But also, I've done some rewind um, technique as well, and it's um, that can be similar also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a, it's a little bit of brain spot and stuff. It's kind of where you look affects how you feel. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you thought about something, if someone was listening now and you thought about something that's mildly disturbing. And just move their eyes and see how that, how that somatic feeling changes to them. Mm-hmm. It's like when you ask somebody, "Where's what colours your front door?" And uh, what was your first school? They're looking to different places. They're looking. They're manually looking yeah. with their eyes. So you've mentioned brain spot to um, to us uh, before. You know, obviously earlier on in this episode, but uh, in the past to to myself, and I know it's fascinating because I don't know too much about it. Um, can you just give us a bit of an overview? What is brain spot? What does it involve? And what and what, suit, what what would brain spot be suitable for? Would you say? I'm trained to level two in brain spot. I'm done my level three, which okay. is like the qualification level. Uh, I think it's suitable for anything, absolutely anything. Is trauma, it a tra- it's a trauma? Trauma, yeah. Trauma treatment. Trauma treatment. Uh, performance treatment. Sports performance. It's amazing. Okay. It's really incredible wow. to watch. Um, you know, it needs, you know, they're getting their in place and I think it needs a lot more research and there's stuff building up now. Uh, you can look online, lots of research about, um, I forget the name of the place now, but where a good woman into a school, they went in, uh, whenever there's, there's trauma, brain spot therapists just turn up in mass and, and help out. Um, and they don't wait for the, for the PTSD, they don't wait for that time limit, it's just kind of, let's just work with it. Let's just work with it. Now it's like, that's really ethical actually as well. You know, let's just Let's just do some work on it if it needs it. So what's involved? So the guy who kind of brought it around, David Grand, he's been, he was an EMDR therapist for years and he was working with a, an ice skater and she couldn't do a triple spin, she was a, she was a, a young person. And they were working on EMDR for ages and he could, just couldn't get anywhere. Um, and he just noticed one day that an eye wobbled at one part and he said, okay, let's just hold it there. Instead of moving, instead of moving your eye side to side, let's just hold it there. Next thing she said, oh, I can feel something out of my throat can't speak and she remembers she got took back to a memory of a mum shouting at her when she was about two by saying you'll never do anything you'll never be any good you'll never get anywhere at the end of the session they were like what was that about and I really don't know don't know what that's about the next day she rang them back and said I've done the triple spin and I can do it anytime so it, it unlocks something and the theory behind brain spotting is is that 
there's certain parts of your brain where the trauma gets stuck and it almost digs its claws in. It's almost like a, if you imagine something being held like a pill and it digs its claws into the brain with brain spot and it's like a laser focus kind of where that trauma is held and it just allows us to dissolve and process. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So, do, so you kind of do you re, do you relive it? Do you go through that that actual that memory again with the client? It's really profound. It's really oddly profound. I volunteered to get up at Manchester when we did it. When we trained. I thought I'll get up and have a go. <laughs> it was just such an experience. It was just really profound. Um, so what you do, you, you have like a the outside window. There's me looking in as I move the kind of. You use a wand and you move it, the wand, and the client's eyes follow. And you're looking for differences. You're looking for shakes in the eyes, jaw changes, breathing changes. That indicates that there's something. I'm outside looking in. There's something going on inside. Or it can be the other way around. The client can say, "I'll do it," and they'll tell you where it feels worse. Okay. So you bring it up the memory. Where are you feeling now? So I went up with not feeling good enough, not feeling good enough around professionals because of my childhood not being clever in school, always being called thick. So I got up with that. So okay, let's work on that. Found it. Um, and then it took me into a whole thing with my dad, not feeling good enough with my dad. So it wasn't about what was presenting, it was kind of really this other stuff. And then kind of, you can't predict where it's gonna go. Once you, give the, once you allow the brain to heal, it'll just go where it needs to go and you just trust it. So for me, wanted to work on not feeling good enough in work around the professionals, took me to my dad's bereavement. Actually coming out of that, feeling fine, feeling fine about work and being okay around the professionals. I don't know so what you went found on. it really, really <laughs> effective, really productive. Yeah. That was one session. Really? That was one session, yeah, one session, about fifty minutes. Really odd experience. Really being held by the uh, the guy who was doing brain spotting with me. Really felt safe, attuned. Um, quite hard to quantify brain spotting, I think. Anyway, quite hard to quantify. Yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? And it just comes back to that, which you know, is quite a a word used a lot in therapy, isn't it? Is like trusting that process but once yeah. you've experienced it once you've done it and you know it, it works you, you might know some of the theory but you don't quite know how it works yeah but you know it works it's then about just trusting that process yeah. isn't it i think a lot of the yeah. time for, well, for me anyway yeah it's about learning it and going with it and trusting it and i think there's something about especially when i'm doing a bit of tea i do do a bit of teaching sometimes you will only go to the depth you as a counselor you only take a client to the depth that you've been to mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it's about going there, otherwise you're going to block it. You're yeah. going to block that process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and getting that sense of there's nowhere I can go with this counsellor that they can't hold me in that place. Yeah. And you as a counsellor trusting yourself to do that. Yeah. Without pushing yourself into kind of unethical boundaries, you know, because you know, there's times when I, there's times when we all say, actually, I might not be the right person for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just being I think that's a crucial factor, isn't it, in, in, in this world, and particularly in, as a therapist, is is that self-awareness to say, as you say, someone might be more suitable for you than, than me or a different modality might be more appropriate for you. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really, really key, you know, a key skill yeah. in, a, a, um, in therapy. So, as we've said, we could so I could sit here all day oh, and enjoy this conversation. Yeah, it's been good, I've enjoyed um, it. And I'm sure that there's loads that you've not um, 
you know, even the stuff we've talked about, we could expand on a, a lot more and, mm-hmm. and go in a lot more detail. And, you know, if, if people are, are interested and um, want us to, I'm sure, you know, if you've hopefully you've enjoyed this experience, if people want to talk more about the MDR, we could come back and go yeah. into a bit more depth about it. Um, but it's it's. Well, I mean, in other areas of obviously you said at the beginning you're different. All the qualifications you've got, Paul, and different. Um, it, it, and also the cl- different uh, client bases, shall we say, that you worked in. You mentioned working in university as well. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting yeah. to hear working with students and, and what that demographic's like. And, um, he doesn't know it yet, but he's, he's going to become our um, resident guest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the house guest now. Um, but I just thought, just before we kind of come towards. Uh, the end. You mentioned the rewind technique. If we've we've mentioned that a few times as well, mm-hmm. could you just give us a kind of brief of what that is, what that involves, please? Again, really quite sceptical doing the rewind training, but it's, it's normally for single event trauma. Uh, I know that they're doing a lot of stuff with the NHS at the moment with the kind of the staff have got PTSD, uh, and it's just targeting a specific trauma, uh, and as you say, you're reliving it. Um, do you want me to go into it a little bit and talk about it, or have got time? Yeah, we've got time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, To put it briefly, you know, uh, you reimagine the event. So you, the way you sell it to a client is, uh, if you're on a roller coaster, what would you be feeling? Oh, my stomach could be going, my, my wind, you know, the wind would be blowing in my face, I'd be feeling a little bit sick. Okay, but if you come off that roller coaster, what would you be watching? What would it be like to watch yourself? Oh, I could remember what it was like. But I wouldn't be feeling it as much. So that's what you do with the trauma, because they're reliving it, they're feeling those things. You help them to separate from it and watch it back. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So you imagine being in a cinema, and you allow the film to play back. And there's lots of lots of other nuances to this, but you allow the film to play back as they're watching it. And then at the end of the trauma, you don't miss out any bits, any important bits. You actually enter the film again. You enter the film at the point it ends and then pull yourself back as fast as you can through the through the whole video. Okay. So you watch it first, everything going on, everything that happened, watching it as an outsider. Then you go in it and imagine the film just being rewound. So if you if there's a building falling down, you wouldn't see every brick falling down, the bricks are just just go back, back into place. And you you start in a safe space and end in a safe space. Yeah. Watch it, get to the end in it and pull yourself out of it um, and it's really interesting what it does the PTSD scale got some amazing results there's a PC, there's a document called the PCL5 an outcome measure anything over 32 shows PTSD so people have got 65 you know scoring really significant PTSD after one rewind session they're scoring like 10s 5s 10s and it, that it can, effective it can yeah, be that effective yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it really got some Strong evidence. It's getting a strong evidence base, and it may be in the NHS soon. Yeah, I've I've used it a couple of times, and it's quite. Um, it can be quite, as you say, effective. It can yeah. be. And there's a there's a bit more to it as well, isn't it? When you're doing it with the clients, about you know if it's if, if it's something that's really distressing them, you can do things like um, take the colour out of it and mm-hmm. put a frame around and make it black and white. Right, okay. Turn the volume down, and the brightness, and things like that. Um, and then as you go through the process, you you, you change it, but. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite a good um, a good technique to use. I suppose with with, with all of these, the only MDR rewind, CBT, um, and brain spotting, it 
I suppose the key is about finding what works best for the client, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, which is uh, for me <coughs> always the um, the key about finding yeah. what works best for the client. Because although our brains all work in the same way, they can also work very differently in yeah. in a lot of ways as well. Also, and it's where the client is at that stage in the life when they come to therapy, isn't it? As well, which no, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's what's suitable for you. Sorry, Paul. No, no, I was just going to say it's also gauging it as well. You know, it's like uh, like Jaws, isn't it? When he says a. Uh, you know, they go out there to catch this shark and they're like we're going to need the bigger boat and the wrecks the boat <laughs> yeah. what you don't want to do is try you know you need the right stabilization and therapy to land that shark yeah yeah and the right techniques to be able to cut it loose this is going to be too much for this session yeah. it's going to be too much for this client having, having tools to cut that loose is that where the the uh, brings us back to the beginning of this conversation re-traumatizing the clients can be a really you know don't run that risk is that why I understand what you're saying there? Make yeah, sure you have the tools to be able to close it down if necessary. And, and that's what was really important about Brian before. Brian had noticed that I'd gone straight into talking about the processing work and now he's actually, actually, you need, you need that, you need that grounding work first. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, again, the biggest part about being a therapist is recognising your limits and what, when you can help someone and when you can't. I, when clients contact me and say, can you help? deal with this I, you know what I always say to them is well you know come along have a chat and I'll see if if I can try and help mm. because I might, I might not be the right person and, and yeah. I might not have the right skill set yeah. to help that particular person and that's not that person's fault it's it's, it's my skill base and it's about being able to then be confident enough to say look I think what you're bringing here is something that I, I, I am not experienced to work with and that's what I, I like about you know even ourselves you know I can then say well you know, I maybe know somebody who um, does EMDR, who, who I can refer you to, although I know you're really busy at the moment for a while. In demand? Uh, certainly, yeah, and, and as we, you know, we mentioned that before, didn't we, the, 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 having the, um, I guess the professionalism, but also just the, the being ethical yeah. and self-aware enough to say somebody else may be more suitable or another modality may be yeah. more suitable again it's important for us to say if anybody listening is um, is wanting to access therapy or maybe accessing therapy at the moment um, talk about all these different techniques and all the different mm. modalities of trauma if um, if we are feeling like it the, you know this isn't working for them or they're not comfortable you know ask for the credentials of a therapist when you're accessing therapy that's crucial that's a big disclaimer from us as well you know everything we've discussed today is not to kind of go away and try this at home sort of thing it's Mm -hmm. as as you say in there Brian it's very much like make sure you're getting the right therapist and that they're qualified and that they have you know the necessary credentials to be delivering what they're yeah because some of the things that I've mentioned today do have robust robust guidelines in place for who can train in it but some of them don't yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, um, so make sure that a qualified therapist definitely at least to level four in counselling at least at minimum. Mm-hmm. And yeah. check that for me. I know a bit contentious for some people, but check that they're registered with regulated bodies yeah. as well. Um, because if anything goes wrong, that's as a as a client who you can go to to say, I seen this person and this happened. So I'd always, always for me anyway, suggest you know going with somebody who's a member of a, a regulated body. Yeah. Um, and yeah, ask about the qualifications and, and their experience. Don't, don't you know? It, just because they have a title of a therapist or a counsellor, just double check what what their qualifications and are. Again, it's a whole massive other 
other conversation, isn't it? But there's lots of people that have been put off therapy because they haven't got what they needed. From bad experience. Yeah, 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 definitely. And that's definitely going to be an episode at some point, I think. Um, but just, I'm just aware of the, the time, and yeah. as we said, we could go on all day and talk about it because it's a fascinating subject that I know we're all really passionate and interested about. Um, so just sort of the last two things, um, really, I suppose, is firstly, is there anything else, Paul, that you want to say or that you feel like you haven't asked or you want to mention? No, anything? I just think you know. Just I think we I think we covered everything. But just to say that there is hope. Yeah, there is hope. Mm-hmm. Even for the if you think you're the worst case or the worst, no one's ever been either like you. There is hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant, brilliant message and mm-hmm. moral of uh, trauma treatment. Really, isn't it? Is mm-hmm. um, I know I mentioned before about that positive expectancy that Eric yeah. Gentry talks about. And I think that's a big part of it, isn't yeah. it? That's a fantastic message. Sometimes instead of us, we've got to hold that hope for somebody yeah. else to see it. We've got to hold that candle in the darkness. Yeah, you might be that, that, that fulcrum, you know, that catalyst for their hope. So it's just, yeah, absolutely. There is hope. Um, and were you going to say something else, Bob? Well, an- another little thing that we thought would, would be good to introduce to the, the podcast and with, our, with us having guests on now, as therapists, when clients come, we often... Um, you know they might come for an hour and um, mm. once a week um, and then they've got the rest of the week to sort of um you know work through whatever it is that that they're working through so as therapists we often give clients tasks to do or homework as sometimes it can be called which i don't like the yeah. word but anyway um, but certainly tasks and um you, you know just some techniques and strategies to to use and practice so what we thought would be good was for when we have a guest on for them to suggest um, and I, won't, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot too much, Paul, but giving us a, a, a sort of strategy or a, a technique that we can go away and practice for every day for a week. Um, and then on our next episode, me and Mark will have a quick chat about how we found it, if we were able to do it, if, if it helped in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, we're, we're both therapists, so, you know, we, we, we know a lot of these techniques and, and we, a lot of them we probably have practiced that. Well, I certainly, I'll practice a lot of techniques, so I won't give somebody something that I haven't. Yeah. tried myself but you know just as a bit of sort of interest really I think isn't it uh, definitely yeah yeah I think it'd be good to link as well to the, you know from one episode to the next mm-hmm. it'd be good for you and I to reflect on because I'm sure there'll be things that we I know for I know certainly for myself there'll be things I'll take away from today that'll be you know next time I speak to Brian I'll be going do you know what I was thinking about what Paul said that sort of thing yeah. so it'll be good for us to uh, to just as well reflect on a bit of an exercise um, if you if you can think of anything, and it doesn't have to be actually like trauma informed. It can be, yeah. um, but just 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 something that we can go away practice every day, um, and then we can reflect on it the, uh, next week when we we we, um, we record again about how we found it. Right, okay. My initial thought is going to do something like a container or something like that, but it's quite a big piece of work, and I, would, I don't want people listening to go away and try it by themselves, just in case it does trigger them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what we could do. Is work on just noticing your stress levels. Okay. Yeah. Because we're all stressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we just come out of a pandemic. People who are traumatized carry stress all the time, and this is something quite safe to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just checking in with yourself maybe once a day when you're in work. That's just really simple. Okay. Okay. Sometimes I'll do this for clients, especially if they're traumatized and can't access a lot of work. It's just unclenching your jaw. And just noticing that, relaxing, and then relaxing your shoulders. And just letting, just noticing the difference between that, and just scanning yourself for any other place you need to relax. 
And after you've done that, it's just moving your eyes side to side eight times. Right. And you can't see them, but they're doing it now. Yeah. And then after that, just taking three deep belly breaths. And that means letting your stomach come up more than your chest. And actually, sometimes I'll tell a client to do that. I don't like doing it because I've got a bit of a belly, but it's just noticing that. And then as you're letting go of that, what I want you to notice is just the Americans call it your sit bones, but it's the bones of your bum, the bones that you sat on, and your hip bones. And just imagine the line connecting the bones that you sat on to your hip bones, and just consciously relaxing that area. That can be really difficult sometimes. Just consciously letting that go. So unclenching your jaw, relaxing your shoulders, moving your eyes side to side about eight times. Moving your what, sorry? Eyes, eyes right, side, side to side, side eight times. Just moving them side to side. Don't think about anything. Three deep belly breaths and then relaxing the bones between the hips and what you sat on, so that whole area. And just noticing that, just doing that sometimes, doing that. The hardest part will probably be the bit where you're relaxing the abdomen, because we're not used to letting that go, but that's where we hold a lot of attention. If you let that go, some people might like to go to the toilet, but actually you won't. Mm. You're just letting go of that tension. And that can be really good for the clients as well. I, I felt, um, yeah, definitely the, the relaxing that those particular muscles because it's something I'm not used to doing. Yeah. It was a bit um, difficult. But straight away after doing that, I mean, we're already sitting in quite a relaxed environment anyway, but I feel quite quite grounded and relaxed by, by yeah. doing that. So, yeah, that's something that we're going to um, commit to trying to do ev every day for, for a week and then we'll Absolutely have a bit of a reflect on it. Um, but just sometimes just some people like to shake the hands, shake the feet as well, just before doing the belly breath. So okay. you know, find out what's right for you. Yeah, I guess is that like feeding back to the brain? Is it that it's okay to relax, or am I reading really yeah, too much yeah, into yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for the for the kind of the the work around trauma, it's that kind of I think they call it reciprocal inhibition. You can't be tense, you can't be traumatized in a relaxed body. You can't be angry or stressed in a relaxed body. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. good if you're stressed. It's good if you're angry. Yeah, or anxious. Yeah, or anxious. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's called the interoception that. Yeah. I think that's that's what it's called. Yeah, you can't be traumatized and relaxed yeah. body. It's like the interoception process. Yeah. We will do that this week. So we we'll, will. Every day this week and we'll feed back on our next we'll episode. Back. So thanks very much for coming, Paul. Thank you so much. No, thanks, thanks, yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely brilliant. That was thoroughly enjoyable that. Thanks, Paul. Our very first guest on the um the Therapy Shed podcast. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully many more. Yeah, good. I think that's a that's a wrap. See you next time. That was good. Uh, once it got on your head, it would flow quite well, didn't it? Yeah, it flow quite well. Yeah. Like, just moving across as well. Yeah. It's just remembering that pitching, isn't it? Trying to pitch at the right level. That's it. That's it. You don't want to be too thingy, but you don't want to be. Yeah. And I guess when you're offering information.